You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Working Like Dogs is brought to you by Dog.com. For everything and anything dog, shop Dog.com today for all the top brands. Greenies, Frontline, Kong, Nylabone, Royal Canin, and more. Shop at Dog.com and use the promo code SADWORK, S-A-D-W-O-R-K, and get $15 off your order of $75 or more. Hello, and welcome to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for joining us today. We're your hosts. My name is Marcy Davis, and my trusty co-host, my service dog, Whistle. And we're thrilled to be with you today to talk about our favorite subject, working dogs and working animals. And today, our guest is comic strip creator, Tom Baddock. And Tom is going to talk with us today about his long-running comic strip, Funky Winker Bean, and one of his characters that Whistle and I are most interested in, which is Wally and his amazing service dog. So please come right back after these messages as we welcome Tom Baddock to our show. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. us a question like so how do you feel about cat condos we can say from experience feels like home for her enter the code work 10 w-o-r-k the number 10 and get 10 percent off any order no minimum at petco.com Celebrate your special occasion and give her this classic semi-eternity band created with one-carat brilliant diamonds channel set in 14-carat white gold. Exclusively yours from ICE.com. Free shipping over $150, free returns, and 30-day money-back guarantee. Go to ICE.com and use promo code ACTFP and get 20% off your purchase. Or use promo code ADTFP and get 20% off at Diamond.com. ICE.com or Diamond.com. Get 20% off from Pet Life Radio. FTD's network of over 40,000 florists around the world have been creating beautiful handcrafted arrangements for 100 years. Each arrangement is delivered the same day and backed by FTD's seven-day satisfaction guarantee. For a century, people have trusted their most important occasions to the flower experts at FTD. Since Pet Life Radio is all about puppy dogs and flowers, our listeners, that's you, can get a 20% discount on your order. Just go to florop.com and use the code WORK1234 at checkout. F-L-E-U-R-O-P.com, code word W-O-R-K-1234. This year, Americans are expected to spend a jaw-dropping $36 billion on their pets. From lighted leashes to high-end spa products, the discriminating pet owner can find just about anything to pamper his or her pet. Hi, this is Michelle Fern. Join me every week for Best Bets for Pets, where we'll talk about the latest pet products 
and talk to the companies that make them. Best bets for pets. Every week, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Hello and welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And we're thrilled to have with us today Tom Baddock, comic strip creator extraordinaire. Hello, Tom, and welcome to Working Like Dogs. Oh, hi, Marcy. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Well, we're so glad that you could be with us today, and there's so many things that we want to talk about, about your career and all of the amazing things that you've created, but I have to ask you, how did you get started? Well, yeah, I, was, uh, I was just out of college, and I was teaching uh, in, here in Ohio in a junior high school. I was teaching arts and crafts, and I had, uh, you know, I would sit around, if you think students are bored in study halls, the teachers are just as bored. So I would have my sketchbook and I would be sketching the kids and I'd put funny little captions on them. And I went to a local newspaper to get a job doing some kind of spot art because I wanted to do some kind of cartooning. And they, I ended up doing a, uh, a cartoon for something that they had called the Tuesday Teen Page. And it was about schools. And I just did a cartoon for them once a week for about two years. From that material, I was able to uh, pull stuff together to take to uh, to New York, and I was able to get syndicated and start Funky Winker Bean, and that's where that all came from. Wow. Well, that's quite a lot to come from that. Yeah, but it, was, I, it was amazing, yeah. Yeah. Well, and so I, I think I read somewhere that you did your first comic character in elementary school, your first cartoon? Yeah. <laughs> we would do them on... Uh, on these, uh, this paper that was the run-through Ditto machines. I don't even know if anybody knows what those are anymore, but mimeograph machines. And so you'd, you'd have to do them on the paper, and you'd have to do it backwards so it would run through it correctly. But yeah, that was my that was my break in there. <laughs> and, wow. and then I did a cartoon for uh, the the college newspaper at Kent State University for uh, a short period of time, a couple of quarters. And uh, then, like I say, I was very lucky. Uh, once I got out, I was able to get the you know get into doing cartooning on a regular basis and then it became my full-time job when funky started yeah well that's amazing and i have to tell you i do remember those mimeograph machines <laughs> <laughs> yes and wow it, that's so amazing that you started out that young i mean this was definitely your destiny if you were starting out that young and then growing it into a syndicated comic strip that's amazing Oh, I was corrupted by comic books at a very early age. <laughs> <laughs> well, how many comic strips have you created now? Basically, it started with Funky Winkerbean, and there was a character in Funky named John Darling, who was a television talk show host. And he spun off into his own strip, I think, around 1980, 81, something like that. And then uh, I also had another character spin out of Funky, the old school bus driver, it was based on the school bus driver that I had uh, when I was going to school, and uh, his name was Crankshaft, and that character spun off into its own strip. John Darling ended a few years ago, so uh, right now I'm working on uh, Funky Winker Bean and Crankshaft. And on Crankshaft, I work with a terrific artist named Chuck Ayers. Yeah, I saw that. How is it working with an artist? You know, it's strange. When I grew up, like I say, I was uh, a comic book reader, and I always wanted to 
be like Stan Lee, who would write about these artists working in the Marvel bullpen. And I thought, boy, that's got to be fun, you know, just all these guys around making comics all day long. And I always wanted to do that. And I, even though I've collaborated with people, you still end up working at home alone in your attic, your studio, or whatever, you know, by yourself most of the time. And I later found out that, by the way, that Stan Lee uh, said that, uh, nah, there was no Marvel bullpen. Everybody worked at home. <laughs> so uh, so uh, Chuck and I get together every couple of weeks. We go over the new crankshaft strips, and uh, you know, he takes the scripts home, and uh, two weeks later, I get the drawings back, and it works like that. So there's not a lot of... It's basically... A solitary profession. I think the best training for this would have been to be a hermit to start with, because <laughs> you kind of end up being. Yeah. How do you stay motivated? Deadlines. <laughs> They're the best motivators in the entire world. <laughs> and I was very lucky uh, because of the way that I described. I kind of fell into working on strips that were very close to real life. And, you know, I think if I was doing a comic strip about a cat on Mars or something, I'd have gotten bored with it by now. But. But these strips, especially the way I do them, allowed the characters to grow and get older. It allowed me to, to sort of keep reflecting on what's happening to me as I've grown and gotten older. And it's just been a, a very rewarding experience. So, I mean, it's something you like to do and want to do. Uh, the hard part, really, when you work at home like I do, is figuring out when to stop because the work is always there. And uh, you sort of have to unmotivate yourself once in a while. Yeah, yeah, I work at home too, and that is so true. We can work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it is hard to have those boundaries. But when you're creating and when you're passionate about your work, it's really hard to turn that off and to make the workday end. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, well, your characters do. They have such, as you said, you know, they really develop and they really, you have such messages that you create. So tell us about Wally. Wally has probably got one of the more interesting histories in the strip as a character because he first appeared as just a, a little baby in a bassinet. He was Funky's cousin. And all you ever saw was his hand holding up a rattle. And it really was an excuse at the time for me to do baby jokes. And we were starting our family, and again, I was reflecting on what was going on around me. And they were just kind of silly baby jokes. One of the things, as the the strip has grown up and the characters have grown, they've become uh, a little more serious, so a little more realistic, I guess. And so in the course of that, Wally went to high school, graduated, and he ended up going into the, uh, the Army and ended up in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. And when he returned home, he found himself dealing with issues of um, PTSD and uh, other uh, stress-related traumas. And that's what walked me into uh, the storyline that's uh, taking place now. And I read where you connected with Puppies Behind Bars to help you with the storyline. Yeah, I was I was writing about Wally's struggles, and the work was getting a, little, a bit too dark, and I, I knew that I, I wanted to try to somehow bring some light into this, and I wasn't quite sure how. And uh, I was out driving one afternoon and heard just over the radio somebody interviewing uh, Gloria Stoga uh, and talking about puppies behind bars and how these prisoners will train dogs that then uh, go to... Um, to wounded warriors who need them to uh, just help them get through, uh, you know, a normal, regular day and get them out of the house and get them, you know, just sort of unlock them a little bit. And I thought, this is absolutely perfect. Um, And so I contacted the Puppies Behind Bars. They, in turn, put me in touch with a veteran who was terrific and who answered all my questions, would talk to me anytime I called him. 
about himself and his dog and, and how this whole process took place. And so I made that happen for Wally, and I ended up having him get a dog. And the dog is named Buddy, which was the name of the first dog that uh, my wife Kathy and I had. Oh, that's so awesome. Well, and I think you described that so well about what service dogs do for veterans and for for so many of us is bringing light into our lives because that's exactly what they are. I love that. I love that you compare it to that because that's really what it is because they do change our life in so many ways. And puppies behind bars, they're doing such wonderful work with their dogs and and getting them into the lives of veterans. So that is so cool. It was amazing to hear what the dogs could do. I mean, all the things they could do. And I had, again, that's just probably going from our experience. We basically, we would go to the APL and, and we, we always had a shepherd mix of some kind, totally untrained. And we weren't good. We didn't do much in terms of training. So we, we had dogs who would never listen to us at all. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> pretty much ignored what we wanted to do and uh, just did what they they felt like. And, you know, we've got big land and a lot of space. So you know, they could run around and just be dogs. And that was good. But it was, I was amazed to the extent uh, these dogs could be trained and what they could accomplish. Yeah. And so how have you incorporated that into the ongoing story? Well, uh, at the present time, Wally and his, uh, the girl he's seeing, uh, Rachel, he's basically has become kind of a prisoner in his apartment. And he actually, he's giving, he gives Rachel money to go out and shop for food for him and stuff because he's just uncomfortable in a lot of situations where he, he, he's still living in a war zone in his mind. And he, uh, you know, so he has to worry about, you know, seeing a tire by the side of the road and what that might mean. Uh, could it be an explosive device? And what could be up and around the next corner? And, and that sort of thing. So she, in terms of trying to find help for him, finds out about puppies behind bars. And the last thing we saw in the strip was Wally starting to investigate this. And what I like to do in the strip is I'll work with a story for a while, and then I'll I'll go to another story, and then weave it back to the other story again, which which is really like life. And so when we pick it up again with Wally, uh, he will have checked this out, and we'll be going down to uh, to get his service dog and to uh, to be trained. Oh, that'll be awesome. I can't wait to read that. I was wondering if you had written any more because that was the last piece that I saw was where Rachel was trying to talk him into it and and was being really supportive for him to get a service dog, which, you know, that is so important in the whole process is making sure that the person you live with or the other family members or your significant other is supportive and is, is a part of it because it is such a huge decision to bring this animal animal into your life that becomes a part of you. So I loved how Rachel was already, she was the one who was opening that door and, and really being supportive. And what you said about being a big decision about bringing an animal into your life is, is a very key thing because this will now be an ongoing part of the strip. I mean, for as long as Wally's in the strip, he'll have a service dog and be uh, partnered with with a dog like this. So, I mean, this isn't a story that I, I'm going to drop. I'll be picking it up and if you know, for at the beginning, as we go go to the end of this year and into the beginning of next year, there's going to be a lot focusing on quite a bit because he's going through the training, bringing the dog home, and doing a lot with him. But he, afterwards, I will still, when you see Wally, he'll have a service dog, and I work about a year ahead so I can confidently say. That this oh, will cool! Be oh, cool! And how was it for Chuck in drawing the service dog? Has he done that yet? 
Yeah, actually, uh, Chuck works with me on Funky as well, doing penciling, and uh, he's done that. And I basically had a lot of reference. I think I'm a pretty good writer in that sense because having drawn Funky for 25 years all by myself, I know what it's like. So whenever I do something like this, I try to supply as much reference material as possible. And again, Puppies Behind Bars was very helpful in that regard. Uh, just so I, I didn't know what a service fest was and what it looked like. And, uh, right, right, and that's kind of yeah, yeah. That's all part of the research to make it really authentic, which right. is so cool. Yes. Yeah, so, how did you did you do telephone conversations with the folks at Puppies Behind Bars, or did you actually get to go meet them in person? It was telephone and email, and I had thought about trying to uh, see if I could get out to one of the training sessions. I tend to not want to intrude too much you know, on people's good graces. And uh, so I, I, I would have, that would have been great. I didn't do that. But I, I was able to sort of supplement it with my phone calls to the veteran that she put me in touch with. He was great. Got back to me anytime I called him. And so he sort of was able to walk me through the process and sort of inadvertently, you know, gave me some ideas because, for example, we were having one conversation about what it was like to train the dogs. He said, you know, the the, um, the sessions were really long and really grueling and it was it was tough, you know, getting all the commands. He says, there were days when the dogs were the smartest people there. You know? <laughs> and so I just ended up taking that line. I thought it was, you know, uh, it was great. And uh, it just had that natural feel to it. So that's how I researched all that stuff. And then Puppies Behind Bars, like, again, supplied me with uh, visual references. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, I know that's what people, when they see me and whistle out, sometimes they'll ask me, oh, are you training that dog? And I said, are you kidding me? He's training me. (laughs) He knows everything. He's having to work with me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we are going to take a quick commercial break and hear some important messages from our sponsors. And we're going to come right back and keep talking about Wally and his service dog, Buddy. So I know our listeners are going to want to come right back after these quick messages. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Love your pets but wish their medications were a lot less expensive? They are at 1-800-PET-MEDS. You'll not only save on flea and heartworm medications, but on prescriptions for arthritis, incontinence, thyroid, and more. And you get fast service, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Plus, our licensed pharmacists ensure accuracy, monitor drug interaction, and more. See why over 5 million people have trusted their pet's health to 1-800-PET-MEDS, America's largest pet pharmacy. Call now or order online. Go to PetMeds.com forward slash work, W-O-R-K, to get 10% off any order and free shipping on orders of $39 or more at PetMeds.com. There's a movement afoot, ShoeBuy.com. Join the millions of people who shop ShoeBuy.com's over 400 brands and 500,000 products. Order now and get free shipping and free return shipping. ShoeBuy.com, the world's greatest shoe store. Walk your dog in style and comfort. Enter the code WORKING, W-O-R-K-I-N-G, at checkout and get a 10% discount plus free shipping at ShoeBuy.com. You ask the question, what do I want? 
Love My Pets, the new single by Mark Winter, available on iTunes. Pets can be a wonderful addition to your life because they're a member of the family. Keeping them healthy and happy is important. Pet Life Radio presents The Pet Doctor with veterinary media consultant and veterinarian Dr. Bernadine Cruz. Whether you have a dog, cat, reptile, or rabbit, you'll find answers for your pets straight from the vets. The Pet Doctor, on demand every week, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet Welcome back to Working Like Dogs on Pet Life Radio. And we're visiting today with Tom Baddock, and he's telling us all about the comic strip world and about his cool characters that he's developed. And we've been talking about Wally and his service dog, Buddy, which I can't wait to see Buddy and actually get to see him in print. So when do you think that'll be coming out? When can we look for that, Tom? Wally returns uh, right after the, the first of the year, and uh, that's when we find that he's gone to uh, to Denver to you know train with his dog and then bring his dog home with him. Oh, that'll be great! Wow. Well, I know you're going to have a lot of, of adventures for Wally and Buddy. I can't wait to see how you're going to weave that in and and really explore that relationship because it it is such a, a unique bond between a person and their service animal. So I'm really looking forward to see how you expand on that and and talk about it and communicate it with people because I think that will do so much to educate people about service dogs because, you know, that's really what makes change is when we start seeing these things in all different all different walks of life and all the different things that we like to enjoy, like reading your comic strip. And to see that is such a great educational opportunity. Yeah, I think coming from a, a different venue always sort of makes something fresh and kind of new, and that and that's good. The thing about it being educational, I mean, the strip is, has, from the beginning, been an education for me. It forces me to learn all kinds of different things. And this is just one more example. And because there was so much I didn't know about it, uh, didn't understand about it and wasn't aware of the the scope and the extent of what a dog can do for someone. I mean, when they're talking about dogs that can turn off light switches or actually having special phones where they can phone for help, it's cool. <laughs> I mean, it's I know. amazing. <laughs> I know, because that's all part of Whistle's repertoire. And I love that when I first saw it on a PBS documentary back in the 90s, I was like, I was in awe of these animals and what they could do, and I, I couldn't imagine how that would change my life. And I was 
nowhere near prepared for how much it changed my life in such a positive way. So it'll be interesting to see how Wally's life changes, especially after all he's been through and being in Iraq and Afghanistan and how Buddy is going to impact his life and Rachel's life. Because I know my husband always says, thank goodness for Whistle because it it gives him such relief and, and changes his life so much. So it'll be interesting to see how Rachel is impacted also. So. Well, you know, it's funny you should mention that because I just uh, finished a cartoon where um, it, it, Rachel's talking to Wally and, and they're in a supermarket and Wally tells Buddy to go down the aisle and pop the corner, which is, again, a phrase I knew nothing about. And, and it's, a, it's a phrase the vets use um, over in Afghanistan. You, popping the corner is, is uh, checking the corner to make sure everything's clear before you, you know, turn the corner and head out. And uh, he's telling Buddy to pop the corner, and Rachel just kind of sighs and goes, well, that used to be my job. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Oh, that's so great, though, that independence of being able to do that yourself is just, it's really hard to describe and and hard to communicate to people. I know we had um, Puppies Behind Bars actually were on our show a little while ago, and it was so awesome to hear the veteran talk about how his dog had impacted him. And when you think about post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, it's hard to understand what that must feel like for these veterans. And to feel like that you've got your partner with you all the time that's got your back, you know, because that's what he was describing about how his dog would position itself behind him and give him that feeling that he was covered. You know, it's just so powerful. Absolutely. And again, that's where the uh, puppies behind bars was great in picking up vernacular, like, uh, you know, get my back, that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, what that kind of command would mean, what it was about. And uh, and then, you know, as a cartoonist, then you just, you know, you, you elaborate on that and, and, and kind of uh, build on those things. There was a command for the dog to stay, and I, and I knew it. I got that and I put it in. So then I just added, somebody said, what's the command to release the dog? And they said, parole. Uh, (laughs) oh that's great (laughs) well and that makes it so authentic I mean that's really cool because I I read a lot of things that people that don't have any experience with service dogs and you know and that's what I'll think when I read it is that they don't have a lot of experience but I love it when I read things and when people use the vocabulary and they refer to things that let me know that they really have the inside scoop and they really know what they're talking about and it sounds like you're really doing that with Wally and Buddy and really getting that information direct from the experts which is puppies behind bars which is so awesome yeah and that's what makes the job fun you know uh, it, and along the way I'm learning things too so it keeps it exciting keeps it interesting and uh, and I think that shows up in the work then yeah, yeah. Well, what do you think is the most important lesson that you've learned so far? Yeah, I guess the overall picture in understanding how much these dogs can help someone is just taking a step back and realizing how much post-traumatic stress can affect a soldier. And I don't think we appreciate that enough. Um, yeah. In some ways, I mean, I can't imagine when you're trained and you're at such a high level to expect certain disasters to happen at any moment, how you turn that switch off, um, you know, you can't. And for a lot of people, it becomes a real crippling disability. And that was the thing. It was just an insight into a world that, uh, you know, I've been fortunate, haven't had to deal with um, 
something like that, but it was an insight into a world that uh, made me appreciate what what these soldiers uh, are going through. Yeah, yeah, I echo that. I mean, the the respect that I have for them when I just think about it and, and just the little bit that I know about about post-traumatic stress disorder and the level of responsibility and anxiety that they live with every second of every day. It's just, it's really, it's inspiring and it, it really is miraculous. And we're very fortunate to have people that are willing to take on that level of responsibility. And I'm so glad that they can get partners like Buddy and other service dogs that then give that same level of devotion to them, which is just the coolest thing. Absolutely. Well, tell us more about your comic strip experience. I mean, what what's your strategy for developing a storyline? It uh, again, I'm very lucky because both in Funky and Crankshaft, they're both strips that are like removed from real life by about like a quarter inch, and so almost anything I run into can be a uh, a topic or a storyline or or something you know you can get up in the morning be reading the newspaper and that'll happen a lot i was i, I got up a few days ago and i was reading how the local schools were getting rid of vending machines they wanted to have the kids eat the food in the cafeteria and they wanted to have better food so they got rid of the the snack food and the pops and everything that were in the vending machines and I remember what it was like when I was in school, and I thought, well, this could be a pretty traumatic experience. So it naturally led to a little story about that and uh, how the kids deal with the machines being gone and, and that sort of thing. So a storyline can develop from, from almost anything. And, and I've been doing Funky long enough now that now I have storylines that are developing internally. And they sort of develop from the history of the strip. And that's a lot of fun too. I mean, it's nice to be able to reach this point where you can, where you have a history and you can use it and uh, expand on it and play with it. And so that's there's just those were a couple of the any number of ways that storylines can occur. Well, when did you actually stop teaching and start working on the comic strip full time? Well, I actually stopped teaching after I immediately started the comic strip, so I ended up teaching for just about three years. But uh, I had a very wise uh, art teacher when I was in high school, and he was a terrific man. And uh, he invited me to come back into his art room, and he said, you know, you're going to want to stay in touch with this. So I would go back every week and spend uh, an afternoon in his art room, just sitting in the corner sketching and uh, observing what went on. And I've kept that habit up. I don't go back quite as... Oh, and actually, then I ended up substituting for him. So I sort of got back into teaching, which was perfect because, uh, you know, he wasn't absent a, a lot during the year, but it was enough to get me in for a full day and to be there and, you know, eat cafeteria food and just have it be real. So that if I, you know, so that it stuck away here in my attic studio, you, I could have ended up drawing, you know, desks with wrought iron desks with inkwells, you know, but it keeps it real. <laughs> yeah, know, well... It sounds like you're staying. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like you're staying so connected, you know, to really what's happening all around you and around the entire society. It seems like you're really connected. You've got your finger on the pulse of that, which is really cool. Well, I think that's what the job of a cartoonist is. It's a very unique art form. You know, you're in the paper every day. You're in people's lives. Uh, you're present with them constantly, and they they develop a relationship with you. So I think. When I read a comic strip, you know, I, I want it to reflect what's going on, even if it's just reflecting the fact that there's a holiday going on. 
I don't know about you, but I'm disappointed when I see a comic strip and say it's Christmas time, and they're just sort of just doing generic ideas. And yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I, I think that's important. And so all these things we've been talking about for, for the past half hour are about you know uh, trying to create that sort of bond between the readers and the, and the, uh, the cartoonist. Yeah, and being able to relate to each other is so important. So tell us more about how, because you made it sound really easy when you were talking about getting syndicated. How did you really go about doing that so that you could quit your day job and really follow your passion? How did you do that? Well, what I did was I took the best of the cartoons that I was doing for the local paper and expanded them into strip form. And then I I flew to New York City. I made appointments with all the major newspaper syndicates. uh, And that's how you get your work out to all the newspapers. Uh, you you basically get taken on by a syndicate who then distributes it and sells it and and uh, sends you money. <laughs> so it makes it a it makes it a real job. And I flew to New York, and it was is it's one of those strange experiences. I mean, I'm, I I got off at the East Side Terminal from the the bus from the airport, and I walked across Manhattan to a Howard Johnson's and had my portfolio with me and and and, and schlepped around to all the offices and showed them my work. And at this point, it becomes like a bad B movie because it was the end of the day. I was tired. I was visiting my last syndicate. The people in charge wouldn't even talk to me, so I left some copies with a receptionist and uh, and left. And then when I got home, there was a a letter saying they were interested in my work and uh, you know wanting wanted to uh, have me sign a contract. It's you know looking back, I get the shakes retroactively because I don't realize how it was like capturing lightning in a bottle. It was a very. I was gonna say uh, yeah, that's like the storybook you know yeah. dream. Yeah, that's so wonderful. And it was uh, now I've since heard the story told from, by people in the syndicate that uh, one of the executives walked out, saw my work, uh, thought it you know wanted to talk to me, and they went out and they're running. I'm heading into the elevator and they're out in the hall trying to catch me which is somewhat dubious because I was walking very slowly <laughs> and looking back over my shoulder I certainly would have spotted that but um, well that makes you know, for a great story fortunate. though Tom yeah <laughs> yeah that sounds really really like a, a perfect ending I mean that's wonderful so what advice would you give young people today who might want to become a cartoonist and a comic strip creator well it you know, in some senses, it's going to be quite different from when I started because the newspaper industry is changing, and perhaps the venue for cartoons will change. And yeah, maybe at some point in the future, here it won't necessarily be primarily newspapers, but there might be opportunities um, on the internet, on the web, to you know have your work produced. And, and that seems to be where everything in the world is going, and I'm sure that's where cartoons will end up as well. So you need to prepare uh, in that sense and be ready to produce your work in that way. But then there's also some timeless advice, which I think is you, you basically just have to hone your craft. So I always advise people to keep a sketchbook, but not only just sketch, but write. I would have to say that of my work, about 90% of it is writing-driven. It's the writing that makes it what it is. And the drawing is, is almost, once you reach a certain level of prof- proficiency, the drawing is almost secondary to that. So keep a sketchbook, keep observing, keep drawing things, and write about it in the work as well. If you're, if you're going to do a cartoon, you need to write that cartoon. A lot of people bring cartoons to me, and they're beautifully drawn. They've got they've slaved all this time creating you know gorgeous drawings, but they don't have anything to say. 
and you need to expose yourself to a lot of good writing, you need to do a lot of reading, and you need to educate yourself so that you have a story to tell. Yeah, well, you definitely have a story to tell, and you're doing that beautifully. And I'm so, so thrilled that you've decided to include service dogs in your story. And I can't wait to hear more about it and to read about it and to see what adventures Wally and Buddy and Rachel get to engage in over the next coming year. So thank you so much for being with us today. I'm so sorry our time is up because you have so much wisdom to share, Tom, and thank you for doing that. I know our listeners will really appreciate that and look forward to reading more of your work in the coming weeks. Well, thank you, Marcia, and I've enjoyed talking with you. Well, thank you so much. And if our listeners wanted to get more information about you, Tom, is there a website that you'd refer them to, or how could they do that? FunkyWinkerbean.com, and... uh, the the funky verse is there (laughs) okay (laughs) okay that sounds great and we will have that up on our webpage about you so that our listeners can contact you if they have any insights or any stories that they might want to share that could help you as you develop your storyline for for wally and for buddy so can't wait i would look forward to that thanks Well, thank you so much, and thank you, our listeners, for being with us. We really appreciate you joining us today. And if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a future show, please keep those emails coming. Whistle and I love to get those. And you can email me at marcy, M-A-R-C-I-E, at PetLifeRadio.com. So thank you so much for being with us, and we look forward to being with you again soon. So take good care. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.